broadcasting from Orchard Park, New York, and Boca Raton, Florida, you are listening to Freight 360. Whether it's breaking news, tips to increase your business, or just some good old sports talk, this podcast is all about having a conversation about the world of freight. I'm your host, Nate Cross. And Benjamin Kowalski. Let's talk freight. All right. Welcome back for episode 58 of Freight 360. Mr. Benjamin Kowalski, I, uh, I'd like to take a moment of silence for the Buffalo Bills. Okay. Take a now, moment. That that's, now that that's done. <laughs> so my heart uh, goes out what's that my heart goes out to you yeah so real quick on sports we, we got a good episode today we're going to talk about scripting and sales pitches for freight brokers but really quick i want to keep this light the buffalo bills took their first loss to the tennessee titans it was actually last night because we recorded on wednesdays it was the first tuesday night football game in 70 years So there's an article here from Channel 4 local here in Buffalo titled The Music City Wake Up for the Bills Defense. And here's the quote from it. Everyone knows that it's almost impossible to go undefeated through an entire 16-game NFL season. Every team has their bad games, and this was the one for the Bills. So now it's time to learn from their mistakes, get it under control, because the reigning Super Bowl champs are coming to town next Monday. It's a good point. So real quick on football. Bills dropped to four and one. They're still first place in the AFC East. And guess what? The reigning Super Bowl champs are also four and one. And the Tennessee Titans, who beat the Bills this week, are four and zero. So they could lose their fifth game. Who knows? It's got to stay positive. Anything can happen. Anything can happen. Uh, so you got to watch a little Tuesday night football, though. A little. Little brief bit of, it. bit of it. First quarter was really good. I mean, it was back and forth. I mean, it was still mm-hmm. tight. Game I mean, except at for that when point. Josh Allen threw a interception, interception that resulted at the in end a of the touchdown first. on the first drive. Yeah, and it, it was a close. It was a close quarter. I think it was like yep. ten to seven or ten to three, seven to three. I don't know. Yeah, they were like positioned to kick a field goal. I think end of the first, and then they ended up putting it in. You know, beginning of the second, that made it a seven-seven game. But yeah, I mean, it was definitely a good first half or so. Yeah. Bills were playing from behind pretty much the entire game, though. So yeah, which is always hard. That was rough, and we were the first to score in every other game up until this week. So, anyway, um, interesting, interesting uh, week for football. I, I did love having the Tuesday night game, though. I thought, like you know, four nights of football, the NFL is going to catch on to this and be like, you know what? We're onto something here. People yeah, like it's it. nice to look forward to on a Tuesday night. Something yeah. different to do, right? Yep, exactly. So, anything else on in the world of sports? We know Dak Prescott basically his foot fell off over the weekend, so he's out. Um, other than that, Steelers ended up eking out a win against the Eagles. It got close going into the fourth. They ended up taking a win, and in golf, Dustin Johnson tested positive for COVID, so he's out. That's right. That's right. Ooh. So how, how, how are they treating that in golf then? So they got to do this, probably the same as every other sport, right? You got to take a Out couple 14 weeks. 14 days, I'm guessing. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Which is basically two tournaments for them, right? Give or take. Yeah. It's, he is the 12th player to have tested positive since the tour started again in June. I find it so strange that golfers are, well, there's, it's not like a, there's not like a COVID ring in golf. Like it's, they're kind of like few and far between, right? Right. Overall. The interesting thing about golf for all the recreational golfers out there is I don't know what it's up, what it's like up by you, but they are, you know, one person to a cart have been since June, but now some of the courses are 
upcharging for you to take uh, a card out yourself, which I don't know that is necessarily legal and I don't necessarily know how they're actually doing that. But um, I did hear from a couple of guys I know I play with a lot that a couple of courses around here were charging you double cart fee to take it out yourself. Well, you got to think about it. If you pay for 18 with a cart, you're, each player is already paying for it with the cart, whether or not half, if you, yeah. Right? So Cause if, there's usually two cards if, to a foursome. Yeah. But so. if you play, let's say you have a threesome, the guy that has his own cart's not paying any more than no, but, and what's really happened is, and, and I mean, I got friends that work at the clubs and, you know, I'll go and practice and talk with those guys is they don't have enough carts. I mean, yeah, I, I don't have that. the resources and they're trying to find a way to make it work for everybody. It's not necessarily, and it's interesting, right? Cause we're going to be talking about that a little today. It's economics, right? It's not necessarily about trying to rake in an extra hundred or 200 bucks or whatever that is for the end of the day. It's more about incentivizing people to try to change their behavior to maybe get some people to match up with their family or guys they're comfortable actually riding with, as yes. opposed to everybody just jumping in their cart and having to back up the later tee times. But it's interesting. Golf's had a huge surge during the pandemic. It was one of the first sports that people were able to go back out and play and to just get outside to do. So I'm, I remember I got to golf in March right before they shut it down here in New York, and I was glad I got to get out there early because – people were just itching to get back out there. I think it was like May when it finally opened back up or late April. So yeah, I remember um, the doctor. So my wife was pregnant at the time and her doctor was like, honestly, golf is probably one of the best ways to practice social distancing and it's good for your mental health. Yep. So, like, yeah, good stuff. Huge advocate. All right. So we've, uh, you know, we've, we had the, the small funeral for the bills. All right. You got to, you know, you got to recognize the losses and the same thing goes with sales scripting, right? You're not, you, sometimes things don't work and you gotta, you gotta put them to rest and move on to the next one. So it's a good, it's a good segue into what we're going to talk about today. So sales scripting, all right, this is a hot topic because you know, what's funny is the, you know, we do a lot of educational stuff here, Ben, we got a lot of people that reach out to us and they, they want, they want the answer. They want the answer to, to what, what do I say to get, X result. And there is no, there's no perfect golden ticket answer to this. There is no perfect script. I know you and Bruce had a really good dialogue in basically a play-by-play -play example of what a conversation can sound like, but that's one example of what it could sound like. And, and I'll give you, and I'll give you a great, a great way to look at that, or I guess perspective. And we talk about this a lot in coaching is navigating the way people like to buy and the way people like to sell. Right. And they're two very different things and there's different personality types. I'm sure everyone out there is at least familiar with either Myers Briggs or some type of personality test that kind of groups people in, you know, different quadrants. Yep. And the thing is, and I, and I would pose this question to just about anyone out there is if you look at your book of business, I'd be willing to bet that the majority of people listening to this, most of those points of contact or most of your customers have personalities that are similar to your own, yeah. right? Yeah. It's kind of human nature. But when you think about it, I mean, and the, the approach that we take and our academic approach as a company is that they're basically four different types. So, and you're a variation, people fall within it. It's not like you're one or the other, but you have predominant traits of either being a fighter, a detective, an entertainer, or a counselor. And then you kind of fall within that based on these assessments. And I, I didn't know that's what the four were, but that's, uh, that's funny. So where, where do you think you fall? 
So I'm a I'm like a really odd duck that I'm a very high fighter, but I'm also a very high detective, which is almost Ooh. never the case that somebody is aggressive and analytical. Usually, typically, analytical people are more conservative, more a little more passive, withdrawn. Yeah, just yeah. a little bit more introverted. But I, it's just I'm a very inquisitive person. I'm also just innate. I don't say aggressive, but I have a penchant for action as opposed to sitting and waiting. Okay. So I kind of fall on both of those sides. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll throw a link in the show notes for some examples of where you can take that test online too. And then I think I got to take one of those and figure out where Nate Cross falls on the spot. Well, here's the thing too. So back to the golden ticket, the golden answer. And I've had this conversation with many people saying, hey, Ben, like, you know, can't we just pay you? Just tell me what works. The reality is, is not only do different, do different people have different personalities, do they have different life experiences, and they have a different lens that, in which they view the world, right? Whether it's, you know, nature versus nurture or any of the aspects of psychology. Also, what happened to them right before you called is going to have a pretty big effect on what's going to happen then. You know, they had a bad day, something went terribly wrong, they got blamed for something, they're going to be in a different mindset when they answer the phone versus somebody that just got a raise when you called, right? <clears throat> Yeah. The same thing. Hey, you call somebody right after their broker burned them or a truck didn't show up after, you know, the third or fourth time that they were promised the truck was going to show up. They're going to be in a different mindset and probably a lot more receptive to your phone call at that time. Right. Yep. That's why, you know, one approach doesn't necessarily work over and over again. I think so. The, the talking about the different personality types and how someone's usually similar to you, that's a great point because I've always gone with the methodology of people like to do business with those that they like, know, and trust. Yep. So I think you got to have like all three of those, but to like somebody, they generally, you have to get along with them and they're probably going to be similar to you. If someone's the exact same as you, it might be a little bit of butting heads, but you got to be in that same spectrum. I mean, am I right? hundred percent. I do a lot of work and I'm actually currently doing a workshop with um, Simon Sinek's company and he's pioneered as the number one TED talk. Um, start with why. You've got a lot of great content on why and finding your why. And why I bring that up is the advocate and the point of it. And he talks about Apple and why Apple's so great at this is they lead with why they're in business, which is really just their beliefs and values as a company, which is exactly what you're saying. That's why people connect with other human beings, your friends, your circle of people that you surround yourself. You typically share the same beliefs and values. That's why you're grouped together. That's the part people want to do business with people that share those same beliefs and values, those same ethics in some cases, right? Yeah, I, I agree hundred percent. You know, what's funny is like, uh, I, so, and I know you and I have always shied away from it, but the, uh, at least on the show. So when people start to talk about controversial issues, it can put a barrier, can kind of force a wedge between you. So like I'll, I'll hop on the phone with people and that are, they want to become an agent and stuff like that. And they'll bring up politics and I'm like, Oh boy, where are we going here? Because you know, it, it can just be a huge dividing topic yeah. or, you know, I bring up, you know, I'll just bring up sports and I know like, for example, the company that I work for is based in Nashville and my boss last night was just texting me, egging yep. on, you know, Josh Allen doesn't know who he's supposed to throw to because he's obviously they're big Titans fans down there. So um, that's obviously a more, uh, I guess, a, a light way of doing it and it's fun. But when you bring up polarizing issues or things and you kind of, you know, don't lead with pride, it's, yeah, it's, it's going to, it's going to, 
deter from that likability factor. So, yep. hundred yeah. percent. Well, what's interesting. So, and why we, we decided to talk about this was you and I had a great conversation off the air about this the other day. And yep. so we just had a, a good back and forth on why everybody's different and why one approach isn't the golden ticket. And that doesn't yes. exist, which is ironic. Cause we're going to talk about why you would use a script, which is in <laughs> essence, a consistent thing that you're going to use over and over again. Right. Yep. Now, why do you, when have you found scripts helpful or valuable? When have you found them useful? It's a great question. So um, for me, a, cause I, it's funny when I first started in like the cold calling world, I used to Google like the best script for this, the best script yep. for that. And honestly, what I found with the script and I created my own basically checklist of what I wanted to hit off. It was good for me to, to get muscle memory and train myself on what I wanted to hit on. Mm -hmm. but I never did it verbatim. So scripting was really just a training tool for myself. And eventually that script turned into me just having kind of reference sheets around me that I could always look at if I needed to. So if there was a certain statistic or um, piece of information that I wanted to divulge in a conversation, I could just turn really quick, look at it, make sure that I hit the points right. But that was it. So I found that the actual script itself, the, the earlier on that I was using it or re relating to it or trying to reference it, the more robotic I sounded. So it actually kind of hurt me, but it did help me develop over time. So um, I think it's more of a tool to help develop your own fluid conversation more so than something to read word for word. Because we've all had that call from a, a call center mm -hmm. and you know the reading off a script and it's just, yep. it just sounds so ridiculous. And I think that's a great point. And where we use them a lot and, and why we use them in some cases is the fact that one, having a consistent approach to it is going to allow you to also evaluate its effectiveness. If you think about anything that you're trying to get better at, if you try to do something different every time, are you ever going to be able to evaluate what works? No. Like golf, for instance, anybody out there, and I'm sure not everybody's a golfer, but <laughs> if you're trying example. to swing a golf club, right? five different times in five different ways, are you really ever getting better? Are you really ever honing any type of consistency? Or you change three things at once and you never know which change is actually the one that's causing a different outcome. Like mm -hmm. you said golf, it's a great example. Maybe you change the way that your stance is or your grip or you know how far you back you go on your backswing or your foot positioning. You, you can't change 10 things at once and then be like, oh, that was it. Too many you variables, I mean? right. Yeah. So, but you make a good point. The consistency in something will give you time to have results and then you can make tweaks to it and then get, you know, be able to pinpoint what change is actually causing what effect. Absolutely. And, and it's, it's the consistency, right? Consistency on the input. So you can now start gauging, Hey, am I getting through the gatekeepers? Hey, am I building rapport and maybe losing them somewhere along the line? And now you can start evaluating and then interchanging what works for you. For me, same thing. I was adamantly opposed the first time scripts were introduced at the first company I was working with in sales, you know, 15 or 16 years ago. And I, I, my, one of my close friends is still a vice president at that company. And he goes, Ben, I go, look, you paid me, you hired me because you want me to be me. And this is what I'm supposed to bring to the table. I want to br bring this knowledge and value and my pride and who I am to this job. I don't want you to give me the words because you can hire anybody to do this. Like I found it super like almost offensive. Yeah. And somebody wanted to put words in my mouth and then tell me to go <laughs> do this. I'm like, hire yeah. a monkey to do that. Right. Like it just really irked at me. 
You, cool. you know what's, what's funny, and I don't want to get too far off yeah. here, but so, and I brought up, I think I brought up Jordan Belfort before, but the, the, the straight wolf line walls, sales methods. Right? Yeah, straight line selling, right? Yeah. Good sales trainer, right? But his, his whole methodology is you need to have a script. You need to stay on the script path and don't be talking about jargon left and right or getting off topic or talking about sports. I basically do everything that he says not to do, <laughs> but I think everyone's different. So, well, and here's the thing, right? Because, and he makes a very good point is that you are the one leading this conversation. You're the one initiating it. You're the one trying to reach a person. You should have a clear objective. You should know what that is going into the call and you should be taking that person down that path to that objective and then getting out, right? It should be very intentional. A script helps you stay on that roadmap because in a conversation, somebody's going to ask you a question. You're going to want to go into left field. The problem is, once you go that place that you're talking to this prospect about, what usually happens is you end up forgetting completely about your objective. You get off the phone call and you're like, I don't know what my next step is. I think that sounded like a good call. It seemed like we connected. I'll follow up. And then, then the question is, well, when do I follow up? Well, since there wasn't a clear objective in the first place, it's super subjective in regards to when you're going to follow up and when you would call and when the next step is because you have no roadmap and you don't clearly know where you're trying to take this person right through the conversation. That is why scripts are super helpful. What I wanted to add was back to when I just loathed scripts, what I learned through doing it was I committed to doing it for like three months. I said, you know what? I'll do this every day for three months and we'll see where it goes because I knew the top guys at that company followed this script and were making like, twice the amount of money anybody else was just far and above anybody else selling? in the company. Um, we were doing development work for like inventions. So companies like invent help or like product development with new inventions. Okay. We were basically not basically we were the developers. We worked with the engineers, but our clients were the people that had the products, the inventions, the ideas and take them through the entire development process. So very emotional getting you got to get people excited. It's about enthusiasm. Oh, yeah. All sales is about, you know, the transference of emotion. So what three I months. learned. Yeah. So, you know, three months later, what I had learned was I stopped having the script in front of me. Like it was in, it was in the hard copy in my hand. I used it every day for a couple months and then I just stopped having to look at it. And then I noticed the, the, there were main things that actually happened in the script, whether they were hooks, whether they were leads, whether they were overcoming objections prior to them coming up. There's a lot of psychology that you can utilize if you're intentional in what you're going to say. And that was all outlined in the script. And what I noticed was I found my own voice and my own way to say basically what it said in a little bit of different verbiage and in my own yes. way, in my own voice. And then I didn't need it anymore. And it was very similar to like walking with a pair of crutches when you break your leg for six weeks until you don't need them anymore, right? It's a yeah. tool that provides exactly what you said, guidance to keep you on the path, hit what you need to hit along the way to get the objective you need to get. And I think you, you said it perfectly. You, you find your own voice with time. So I think we're both, if this, if this was a Venn diagram with what you said and what I said, we're pretty much hovering that middle ground is just about the largest part of this Venn diagram because we both agree on probably 95% of it. And we went through the exact same experience with it where the script is not to be read verbatim forever. The script is, is meant to be a tool for you to find your own voice in the conversation and the objectives that you're having. So um, I think, you know, 
let's get into the, a couple specifics on the the sales script and prospecting process as far as different ways to present your pitch. Um, you know, we've got the phone, which is probably the biggest one. We've got the in-person, which in freight brokering is not as common, but it's a very effective method to do it if you can. If you and can. then there's the email, which there's good and bad ways to do emails. Right. So, so let's start with the first, right? So my question is, what do you think the number one reason is that people aren't making the amount of phone calls that are required? And you and I talk about this a lot. You know, the 80 to 110 you should be making a day if you're building a book of business from day one, right? What's the I'm number so, one reason? I going to say they're afraid of rejection. I think that's probably the, the biggest Call thing. reluctance, right? Told yeah. No. Scared of rejection. This phone feels like it weighs 300 pounds. I just don't want to do it. I'll do something else instead, right? Creative avoidance. Well, I'll check this invoice. It needs done anyway. I'll get the phone calling later. I'll do my prospecting later, right? Yeah, I'm with you. I think the phone's probably the most effective tool in brokerage as far as presenting your pitch. How else but, can you touch? Yeah. yeah, how else can you touch 10 to 15 people an hour and reach and actually have conversations with two to three people every hour? Like, there's just you. no other medium that's going to allow you to do that in some cases to really establish the relationship you need to do business with them. So, I guess if you look at the other methods, so in person, email, mm -hmm. we talked about why people don't like to make the phone calls. So, an email is a very, I guess, if you want to say effective way, it's a very effective way for someone that is a creative avoider. Yeah. It's, it's a good way for them to make themselves feel better. Like, oh, yeah, feel. I did 100 people yeah. today. It's like, yeah, feel but like. you, you sent emails out that either got stuck in their trap or their junk Email or spam, hell. or they just delete it because they know exactly what it is. And that's the question, right? And I'll ask anybody out there right now that thinks that sending emails is their most effective way to ask them how many emails they delete in either their work email or their Gmail or whatever <laughs> on a daily basis that come to them that they don't read. Exactly. And then I ask every, themselves. Every morning, every morning I, 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 there's like 10 every day that I expect to delete. Yeah. Yep. So. Oh, and hey, funny. there's some great stuff. And I know the guys over at FreightWaves did an episode on this, I think last week or the week before, maybe Kevin Hill put a, a white paper out. I know I shared on our LinkedIn page on really writing good cold emails, how yes. to write good hooks, good subject lines. And writing copy is a very valuable skill. And if you really want to dig into it, it's absolutely worth learning and can be effective. But the random emails to just avoid cold calling, not so much. So what I always, here's what I would do is I would do it. I would incorporate the phone and email together. So for me, I always had a sort of a process where first was depending on the situation, right? I would either make the phone call and if I got a voicemail, I'd follow up with an email or sometimes I would send an email letting the person know that I was going to call them. Um, and I think depending on the situation, there could be pros and cons to that. Um, the email a lot of times just gets, gets overlooked, but there are ways. So like I would use HubSpot and it tracks emails. You can see if the person opened it, if they clicked yep. on anything in there. So you can't, it gave me a way to start the conversation. Like, Hey, I know you checked out the thing I sent over to you. Uh, and then you have at least some sort of um, direction that you can take the phone call in. Have you ever done anything like that? Absolutely. So I, and I have a client that I coach right now that has a great system that I really like where he does exactly what you said. It's a variation of phone calls and emails, and he uses emails intermittently in between the phone calls to add another touch 
to add yep. a little bit more consistency and to just basically increase the amount of time they're going to see him and his company's name. It's nothing outlandish. It's not an entire newsletter. I mean, be realistic. How much do you read of any email that comes in? Are you reading an entire newsletter or do you read the first handful of lines? I mean, right? I, very few. I'll read the entire thing. I'll know within a few seconds if I'm going to continue to read or exactly. not. Exactly. So, but the, Put yourself the, in their shoes before you write the email. What oh, would yeah. you open and what would you want to read and think about it? Like, if I'm using email, it's really just to drive that next step. Like exactly what you said. If I've got you on the phone and we had a good conversation, I'm going to try to schedule that call, but it's a little odd in transportation. They don't really schedule calls because everyone's day is kind of really reactionary in most cases on the shipping side. Yeah. So I would usually use the email to line up the next call. And my yes. favorite line, by the way, in emails, and I, I caught this from somewhere else years ago was, would you be willing to set aside a few minutes to jump on a call. Now think about how that's phrased, right? Would you be willing to set aside a few minutes to chat, discuss, jump on a call, right? Think about that psychologically and think about trying to say no. No, you wouldn't be willing to set aside a few minutes to jump on a call. It's really hard to say no to that, that statement, right? I think you, you're more lucky to get no response than a no. Exactly. <laughs> and if it's somebody you've already talked to, that's when I use it. So if it's somebody I've talked to two or three times, it's a prospect, but you know, we haven't gotten onboarded as a carrier yet. We haven't gotten real business yet. That's a great line to drop to get somebody to jump back on the phone with you. Mm, I like it. So, so your client that did kind of the same or does sort of the same thing that I used to do with the mix of emails and phone calls. Um, I, I agree with the the amount of touches and keeping the company name and that person's name fresh in their mind and keeping it familiar because that is the feedback that I have legitimately gotten from folks that once somebody, a prospect was converted and became an, an active client, they would give me the feedback. Like, honestly, like you were the, <clears throat> you were the most persistent when it came to this, essentially the prop prospecting that person pleasantly that, persistent know, that, right yeah it's so the it best compliment like, you can get like I, I was legitimately hitting somebody or touching that person via email or phone probably five to ten x what the next closest competitor was so whether that's annoying to some people or not it does convert so and here's and here's the other interesting aspect of that right like that's why we're both sitting here having this conversation on this show right now because that's how you connected with me. That's why we continued is yeah. what you were sending was relevant. It was interesting. It was worth me spending the time to stop and read. And out of the, all of the spam and all the other stuff I would get from everybody else, every time you would send some, I would take a look at it. And then when I saw that, I was way more inclined to want to jump on the phone call and connect. That's how we ended up becoming friends and colleagues was through that pleasant persistence. Absolutely. 100%. So I think, uh, I mean, that just goes to speak volumes to the, the reason that we say the amount of phone calls that you need to be making every single day when you're prospecting, volume of activity, <clears throat> excuse me, volume of activity is a huge, huge factor that goes into your close rate. It is. So you're, it, it's as simple as the more phone calls you make, the more opportunities you're going to have to talk to somebody, the more opportunities you have to talk to somebody, the more times you're going to have that, you know, that sales cycle going further and further down. So activity. It's, and and I, I love the way that I look at the definition of luck as it relates to this, right? When opportunity <laughs> meets preparation. Yes. Because it's true, right? Like if you were doing the right preparation, the opportunities are in the market right now. And I wanted to touch on that article you and I talked about briefly this morning, right? 
um, in regards to what's going on with the spot market and rates. Mm -hmm. The opportunities are everywhere right now. Yep. I'm going to pull this right off of, this is a quote from Ken Adamo over at DAT. Spot market rates just keep climbing as companies turn to the spot market to help them manage the imbalances in their supply chains. And that just means more and more shippers that were relying on assets and contracts and bids aren't having the ability to. They're getting rejected. They're moving to the spot market. So those opportunities are everywhere, but they're only going to be worth anything to you if you're putting the activity in to put yourself in the right place at the right time to be able to be in front of these people as they run into those issues. I agree 100%. And it's, it's funny because even though that article is written about the spot market, this is the time of year when bid, it's like bid season right now. Yeah. So everyone's, you know, companies are sending out their invitations to do their RFPs, whether it's an annual or quarterly or biannual, whatever, this is the time that people are starting to do that. But the spot market, which is what we're talking about here, that is where really good freight programs can shine and show that they can be on the fly, productive, reliable, and actually do what they say they're going to do. So with the rates going up, there's, man, there's a million variables that go into why rates go up. A lot of times it's capacity. Um, but when you have tender rejections, like we're talking about here on contracted freight, that stuff falls, it trickles down into the spot market, which is where you have an opportunity. So let's talk about how the sales pitch can be used in this specific situation. So the spot rates are going up. It's getting you know, it's, it's kind of a doggy dog type of environment. How do you prepare for this? What, what kind of a pitch do you try to lead with when this is the current environment? So, and I don't know that I, I guess we'll use the word pitch, but the way that I'm going to go at this or coach anybody to do this is through questions, right? It's yes. not statements. You shouldn't be pitching you. You shouldn't be, and I don't know if you want to take it literally, you shouldn't be throwing what you want to say about yourself at them, right? Like, the likelihood that's going to land is pretty, pretty slim. What you want to be doing is asking questions to understanding what we are telling you is happening everywhere because we are hearing it from everybody. The people I coach that have, you know, $10 million books of business working with fortune 50 companies all the way down to people that are just getting into the business that are, you know, working with smaller mid-market companies. The market is tight for everybody ask questions to uncover how that same thing is affecting the person you're talking to. That's your pitch. That's how you find it. That's how you find where their needs are, where their problems are, and where they genuinely need help. Because that's our goal, right? Yes. Our goal isn't to pitch them on what we want them to buy. It's to find a need. Absolutely. So, so when you, we talked about scripts, essentially, a little bit ago, you make a great point here with questions. So here, here's what I would do um, previously when I was just getting myself you know, tr mentally trained on what to say and, and what more specifically what to ask. I had a list of questions yep. and I tried to put them in order of when I wanted to ask them and in which order. And instead of really a, a script and like you said, a pitch, it was more of an uncovering investigative type of process on a phone call. And I would start off with different questions and go down my list. And the more of those questions that I could discuss and have a conversation about on that phone call, that was a, a that was a way for me to, to determine the how successful that how call good it was. was. Hey, I got through two, five, 10. Hey, I talked to this guy for 45 minutes and he basically answered every question I had. That yep. is a home run, right? Absolutely. And then what I would find too is the more of those phone calls I did, other questions would just start to naturally pop up and I would add them to my list 
as kind of a, hey, I never thought about that one before, but the better you get at it, the, the more fluid it's going to be. And like you said before, you're going to find your own voice. And to bring out the idea of coaching, right? Because this is something that you do on a daily basis. There is no, like we said, there's no golden ticket on a script or a pitch. This is something that is not, you can't just, you know, one size fits all. You will find your own voice with coaching and with practice and with repetitions. This will all come to you naturally at some point in time. And this is why I think a lot of folks fail in this, this industry is because they don't have the patience or, you know, whatever to get through that process of, absolutely you know, put the hard work in for months and months and months. The next thing you know, you're an overnight success. Cause that's it, right? Like, yes, it takes time, but it's only going to happen over time. If you're putting the reps in doing yep. something else for a day and waiting the next day does not make you better at something. You have to actually put the work in and put the activity in to put the reps in to get there. And speaking Absolutely. of which, Hey, for a list of some of those questions, we covered this on episode 56. I was just taking a look back where we went through a lot of these questions. I'm pretty sure we have some of the links in that episode for some of these questions. And you're absolutely right. I would say that what I had when I started was I had my own script I wrote out for myself so that, and it was my own words. Like it wasn't someone else's words. I wrote my own approach out because I wanted consistency in it. Then I had exactly what you had. I probably had 25 questions that I would have there and I would have it always on my desk because if there's a lull spot in the conversation, you kind of run out of things to say, it's a great crutch to lean on too, to also keep that momentum in there. Yeah. All right. So here's a, here's an example of a question that, that I love to use. And it's, it's more of a generic question because you can, you can create it or you can kind of change it or, or mend it to whichever situation that you're in. But I always like to lead with what made you to, what made you decide to X, Y, Z. So if I had an inbound lead, which is not as common in, in brokerage, but inbound lead, what made you decide to reach out? Or if you want to talk about a broker talking to a prospect about their competition, what made you decide to start working with this company? Or what made you decide to blah, blah, blah. It puts them in a, almost a, a position of responsibility. Like, oh yeah, I, I was the one that decided and made that decision to do this, to work with this company instead of you. And then you can kind of, you know, start to peel back the layers there and, and figure out, you know, what's their thought process? What is, what are the driving forces and factors in their decision-making process? And I think that's great. And, and here's the other thing to take heed, think about is that, you know, 20 years ago, you could ask and kind of go directly at a pain question and it wasn't, just, well, for lack of a better word, painfully obvious to the other person that you're trying to find a need to then leverage in sales. Right now, everybody's been so exposed to so many of these things for so long that if we go and ask what's wrong, they know why we're asking what's wrong. And it's not an effective way to get to it. If you want to find that way, what I'm always going to start with is what's going well, you know, tell me about some of the other carriers. Tell me what's going well over there. Tell me who you guys like to utilize and how that's been going. And then I'm going to transition right from that into, you know, hey, if there was one thing you would change about any of your other brokers or any of the other carriers or transportation partners you're working with, you know, what would it be? You would be amazed at some of the things that will come back because everyone always assumes, oh, it's just price and service, right? I've flipped customers because they just didn't like the way their billing was handled by some other broker. Like just didn't like when they, the way they were being invoiced, right? And we're willing to give us all their business just because of that. I think that's, that's a great point. Cause there, like we said, there's not a, there's not a one size fits all for this. So I, I'm, I'm a huge fan of the questions, especially in that regard. So um, 
do you have any examples of, of questions that you would use? I know we had the, the episode on, but any that are kind of unique and generic for, or not generic, unique and specific for like a first call or something like that. You and Bruce had a really, really good conversation on this in your, your back and forth example on a cold call, but some of these first questions that you ask on a call to somebody. So you've got them on the phone. You know they've got a few minutes to talk. We've already covered that part. They have a general level of interest. What kind of probing questions can you ask to a shipper? It's going to depend on what, why I'm calling. Like I'm going to do a little <laughs> of that of research here. before, right? Like if I'm calling a region because it's really tight and I know they're having a hard time finding trucks, that's probably going to be like my first question. Is, yep. Ask them like, you know, how have things been recently? I know we've all seen the market and I'll, it's a cluster question. It's a couple little questions, but there's really only one I'm waiting to answer. And it's going to be something like, hey, you know, I, I'm sure you guys have seen the market, you know, flip more than a handful of times. Everything's raising in cost. But let me ask you this. How have you guys been seeing it? Or is your capacity been good? Have you guys been seeing any issues on the service side? Because I know it's likely they're having a service issue. That's why I'm prospecting that area to begin with. Yeah. I'm really looking to kind of bond or just understand how things are going for them. I agree. So I think your, your questions, you can hit on capacity. You can hit on service. On At the end of the percentage. day, what you want to uncover is you want that prospect to then divulge to you pain that they're feeling in their day-to-day -day business, right? Because remember, a company's objective is not to ship goods. They have their own customers. So transportation is often a- Not their number one. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's side, it's a required side part of their business that they don't want to deal with the headaches. But if you can ask questions and do these right probing questions, you're going to uncover pain points that they might be having. You might also find out some, some things that they love about what's currently going on, which is just as important, but you've got to be able to figure out the pain. And then if you can figure out what their pain is, then you can go ahead and we'll, we'll use the word pitch. Then you can pitch your solution to what you want to do to help solve that problem for them. You should, exactly. You should never be pitching what you do until you've identified a need. And I want to keep this as need and not pain, right? And there is a difference, right? Because- if we really truly want to be a constant, uh, you know, uh, my mind just went blank. If we really want to be, you know, like a consultant to them or a true yes. partner in their transportation, right? We want to know what they need help with so that we can be that help to work and cooperate with them to make their life easier, right? Like yep. that's the goal at the end of the day. So it's not like finding pain to leverage this to make them pay a whole bunch of money. It's more about like, kind of interviewing to be like a part-time employee to help them with what they need help with, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. So, and it's funny because you can relate this to other parts of life and of the industry. So um, uncovering the pain is not a, it's not an uncommon thing. So think about this. <clears throat> if you are like, I'll, I'll give you an example of recruiting a freight agent that I've done for many, many years. I know where a lot of the pain points are in these folks and you'll get to know the questions to ask with, with time and repetition. Yeah. But for me, a lot of times it was, how is your back office at your current company? Are they, you know, if you have a request for a credit increase or something like that, how quickly is it getting done? Are they handling it on the weekends or, or after hours? How's your commission structure right now? How is, you know, how's, how's your uh, commission pace like? Are they paying you fast? Are they paying you weekly? You know, there's different things that you'll figure out. How are claims handled? And the mm -hmm. same thing, it almost goes with, think about, think about if you start dating somebody new back in our you know, before you and I got married in our dating years way back in the day. But you, you, you try to inadvertently find out what that person likes 
and you, you start to figure out what they don't like and what bad experiences they had in the past. And then you can kind of figure out, all right, so there's a little bit of a, there's a painful memory here. And the same thing goes with the freight brokering prospecting sales cycle. You're not the first freight broker to reach out to a company. They've had bad experiences. They've had good experiences. It's how can you position yourself to figure out where you potentially fit into the equation of making their job and their life easier. Absolutely. That's simple. Yep. I mean, easier said than done. So, but I think at the end of the day here, there is no perfect solution. There's no perfect script. I'm a fan of having a script be more of guidelines for you, a checklist, a list of questions, just something to keep you, keep you in bounds. You know what I mean? So you're not totally going off the rails, but you've got to find your own voice in doing this. Repetition's the answer. Coaching is a great way to do it. And again, if someone's not going to call you and say, Hey, Ben, um, you know, write a script for me and make everything perfect. It's like, no, you will work with them. We're going to develop it together. A, over a you know, lengthy period of time to develop them and help them find their voice in their approach. Absolutely. I mean, 100%. And, and that's, I mean, that's really kind of the best way to look at it. Absolutely. Cool. S scripts, pitches, man. Do we have any, anything else we want to hit on this? We've got some good questions we can wrap up with today, but I think that the, the big takeaway on scripts and pitches, I, I already, just kind of hit on it already, but you've got to have a, a plan and an approach and you've got to develop it over time. That's Agreed. my big takeaway. And, and kind Don't of sound the, robotic. And, and then, you know, I guess the other takeaway or kind of the big thing is, you know, like, honestly, what separates top producers, right? Versus just the average person or the average person from the person that doesn't succeed is mastering phone skills, is yes. doing this, right? And I, and I touched on this earlier, you know, what do you think the number one reason is that people aren't doing this activity, right? It's call reluctance. It's, you know, creative avoidance. It's not doing what we know we need to do, right? But one of the best ways to overcome reluctance or fear, right? is yeah. through preparation. I was listening to an awesome podcast. They were talking about this as it relates to astronauts. There's a ton of nerves that go into sending a person into outer space, the G's and everything. A human being is not meant to go at that G at that speed <laughs> for that amount of time, right? Like it puts yeah. your body into a place that has in no way ever been built for that, right? How they overcome that for an astronaut is they do the same thing. I think it was like 180 days before takeoff they wake up and start their day exactly the same and do exactly what they would do for takeoff all the way up until the moment they would take off and then stop and then do it all over again the next day. Wow. That gets their body so used to it that their nerves around taking off and going, they're putting their body through that just becomes second nature. This is what a script does for you. If you're not making these calls a day and you find yourself making five calls and then nothing for two or three days, and then five or more calls, or you look back at the amount of calls you made last week and you have no idea, but you're guessing it's probably less than a dozen, right? It's because of call reluctance. Number one way to get over that, preparation. Come up with your own script for yourself. Put these names down on a piece of paper before you're supposed to start dialing. This preparation is going to help you overcome that more than anything else. Absolutely. Now, there is one other, there's one other method to this that we didn't really talk about, and that's the in-person. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this, and you, can, you might have a different opinion, but I think based on your level of experience, comfort, just being good at this. Email is the easiest way. I guess the least, it's the least frightening way to get a hold of somebody. And that's why people rely on it. 
has no rejection. The phone is probably the next, it's kind of the middle ground. It is probably the most effective and efficient way to do it. But you know, you've got to be, you've got to be confident enough to hop on and have a conversation with somebody and be able to be told no in person. Now it's not as efficient because you can't do as many in-person visits. Right. And if you just drop in somewhere, yeah. you're, you're, it's kind of wild, but you've got to be top notch to do an in-person sales pitch, especially in brokerage. So I, and I had the, I had an opportunity to do this a bunch of times with um, a previous company I was with to go in person to a local company and meet with a prospective customer and figure out their pain points, what they're currently doing, seeing the actual operation, and then be able to sit down and have a conversation about, you know, all the stuff you would say on the phone and have a conversation about and ask on the phone, do that in person. And I think that if you can mix some in-person stuff in, if you, if you have the physical proximity to do that, it's a really, really good way to stand yourself apart from competition. Absolutely. I think it's one of the things, and I saw every one of my customers in person at some point, and I think it's, you do it in addition to, not instead of, right? Yes. Like I'm reaching out to the phone. I already know this person. We've had enough conversations. They know who I am. Now I'm going to schedule an appointment where I will sit down and I'll really establish some of that rapport. Then I'll go yep. show up in person. I'm not going to yeah. randomly, and I've done this. Like when I was in banking and small business very early on, right out of college, we would cold knock doors in retail sections to go get small business customers. And I'm like, that is a very arduous task that has very, very low effectiveness. <laughs> I mean, like you spend a lot of time wearing out shoes and not reaching anybody. <laughs> a, a buddy of mine used to sell lawn care. And he told me that it was probably the, like they would just knock doors all summer long, all spring and summer. And he told me it was one of the best ways to develop a, a strong, like just strong skin and the ability to be rejected. So to and it that, really puts people on the spot because they can't yeah. just hang up on you. They have to close the door on you. By the way, that's where our parent company Southwestern started and is still the biggest part of the company is, you know, we take college kids and they door knock to sell educational materials. Yeah. Gary Keller, the founder of Keller Williams sold encyclopedias at some point in his life. And so did um, Zig Ziglar and both okay. of them throughout their entire careers in life attribute those summers that they did this. I think Zig Ziglar did it for like a couple years. I don't remember exactly what it was. I think it was maybe kitchen stuff, but he said the skill of going and knocking on door to door and evaluating and being able to determine what their personality type was and to quickly assess that. And then to go from there, he said it was the most valuable thing he's ever done. And they both said, yeah, it would absolutely force their kids to do it if they had the choice. I, so when I was younger, so I was in boy Scouts growing up. And we would do anything from selling like candy bars at a football game yep, to like, we had this, we had this one um, fundraiser where we would make um, basically pizzas to be frozen pizzas and you could heat them up at any point, but we prepare all them. And we had orders previous to this day that we'd make all the pizzas, but we'd always have a bunch left over and we'd go door to door and sell these like, Hey, mm -hmm. you can either eat this today or you could put it in the freezer. And it was like five bucks a pizza. And that, it was so intimidating to go walk door to door yeah. selling this. And then we also did like um, phone directories with, you know, with local ads in them. And it was a fundraiser again for us. And we would go door to door and just, Hey, would you like to buy this? And you, it's funny because the first couple doors you knock and people you talk to you, you're just like, uh, but by the end of the day, I'm like, oh, I got, got this you whole process it. done. I, you know, yeah. I'll know right away if they want to buy one or not and what to say. And that's the whole, the whole process of repetition is what's going to make you better at what you're doing when it comes to having on the phone, asking these questions and presenting this kind of stuff. Repetition. Perfect. So love it. Door to door.
All right, good conversation. I like it. And this is this is a topic that will be revisited very, very often in the Freight 360 world because at the end of the day, if you are new to brokering or you're in that beginning growth phase, the first couple of years, this is something that you have to get good at. You have to get good enough at to be successful. Because it's, it's required. Really, Absolutely. Yeah, you don't More so than anything else. And here's here's my thought, and this could be controversial to you know other people's sales mentalities, but I think there's a good enough factor in a lot of uh, sales, whether it's cold calling or presenting a pitch or um, probing questions. You have to be, you know, you have to have have a certain level of proficiency to be good enough. You don't have to be perfect at it because there, is, like we said, there's no perfect script or anything like that. There's just there's a good enough, and I think if you don't reach that people on the other end of the phone, they can detect that and they can hear that. So own a voice. Yeah. And, and on that note, I mean, I think it's 7% of communication is what is actually said and heard. People don't remember specifically what you said. They remember how you made them feel. And at the end of the day, how you get there is up to you. There you go. I feel like, I feel like you got to throw in a Benjamin Kowalski proverb that comes or that has something to do with this. You got anything? I don't have one on deck. <laughs> you put me uh, on the spot. Like when they come fluidly, they come, but <laughs> there you go. Yeah. You guys got to find your own voice in them. All right. So let's get in, let's get into some questions here. I got two good questions. These both come from Reddit, my favorite at the time. Um, so here's the first question. And this kind of goes into what we were talking about today. The question is, what would be an incentive to offer a shipper at the beginning if you want to broker their loads? So the, the overall question is, you know, what can I do to be different and incentivize this person, you know, to you know, set myself apart from the other 50 brokers that are hitting them up? And yep. it's funny because before, before the show, we were, we were talking about this question. And the one thing that came to mind off the top of my head was price. And then I was like, you know, we talked about it. I'm like, that's actually probably a really bad way to try and incentivize someone is to set a bad precedent of that you're the cheapest person it is so and and there's another way you look at that too is it's very hard to change that once you've set that precedent it's much harder later on and i know everybody's eager to get that first load and to establish that so you want to do whatever it takes and i get that the mindset is to change it and i'm not saying that i haven't done this either i'm just saying that what I did was when I've done it, it's I never really ended up with a good customer at the end of the day. It always ended up being somebody I just kind of moved a little bit. And I usually kind of handed that customer off to somebody else. Because yeah. if you're talking about rate, you lost control of the conversation. You lost control of talking about the real need where they really need help and where that may be. I agree. I agree. And I'm a big fan of you don't want to be the cheapest. No. Because with, with cheap comes a lot of other things that you really don't want to offer somebody, which typically is bad service, being unreliable, unable to get a hold of, you know, you get what you pay for. But we talked so, about this too a little bit off the others. There are other ways to go with this. And I mean, you can just point blank ask like, hey, what are some of your hardest loads to cover on any given week? Do you have any yep. that you have to spend a lot of time on? Would you mind if I took a shot at some of those and see if maybe I could earn it or earn your trust? Let me try it. Let me see what I can do, right? That's yep. all you're looking for. You're looking for an opportunity, right? That's yep. it. So a lot of these, these could be like the weekend loads or if, hey, you know, as an incentive, like when you have a load that falls off and you're in a bind, let me try to work on that one for you. Yep. Um, the, the freight that nobody else wants to touch 
that can be your incentive. You're going to put the extra time and hustle and grit in to try and solve their problems for them. So essentially, what do you do? You just do your, do your job be, and be good at it. Got to out hustle <laughs> the guy next kinda, to you. It's, it's Find weird, another it's way, right? Question. Yeah. Because so, you, you think about it. In other sales environments, people will have incentives like, hey, take him to dinner or to a sports event or you know, give him a t-shirt, something like mm-hmm. that. The, the freight world is very, very different. It's very, very different. So yeah. Okay. Good, good discussion. Um, next it's question. Funny, it's funny about that too. I was just thinking when you said that, I was like, I've gotten a lot of gifts sent to me through the holidays, but none yeah. of them were ever sent prior to the business. It was always sent after, right? Like yeah. the carriers that I would use a lot and, you know, spend a lot of money with, like they would always send me stuff for the holiday, but I don't think anybody ever sent anything or I know of anybody that sent stuff and like led with it and got that to work. I'm not saying it wouldn't, but yeah. Um, so before the next question, let's talk about this then. So I think as a retention tool, there's a lot of value in incentives like that. So um, for example, when the holidays come around, sending handwritten cards is a great way to show Huge. that you are a human being that actually cares about. And you're, you're thinking about these people. Also, by the way, to our initial question, what is a way that you can help differentiate yourself at the beginning of a relationship? This is one of those ways. None of your competition, I can guarantee you, is sending handwritten notes to the people that they're speaking with. Yeah. And that goes a long way. It's still a human being on the other end of this. Yep. I'm with you. I agree. Um, But I think especially once that relationship is established, you've got to, you got to show that you're you're actually a human being that cares and you appreciate their business. So things like holiday cards, birthday cards, remembering when their birthday is. Um, And I, so I like doing, like we talked about going to visit in person. I think that the in-person visit too shows that you care and you want to learn more about what they're doing day to day. That's where so, we would spend it. Honestly, like yeah. I would usually fly a out huge to retention where, tool. and we're going out, we're going to go out to lunch. I'm going to usually take them and their key employees out to dinner. And that's how, that's what I would use for retention. You know, I'd go out and see them either quarterly business reviews, depends on the size of the customer, maybe semi-annually. We're going to go out to a nice steak dinner, nice dinner, you know, pick up the tab, show them that you appreciate it and spend the time. Plus it gives you yeah. a chance to do what? Meet them, learn them a little bit, learn a little bit more more about them, right? Exactly. What I was going to say is, and we've talked about this before with golf. So I've done a lot with lunches, dinners. Um, I even went to like a guy's farm where he like had a, like uh, dirt bike trails and stuff. And he, so you get to, what you do is you, you put yourself in a different situation where it's not like a intimidating phone call, right? where you feel obligated to just like hit a checklist of how's business going, how we've been performing for you. You get to actually put yourself in their shoes and have a relaxing, different environment type of experience. And then it's going to, it just takes off any kind of pressure or stress. And you can just, you start having a really good conversation and you really dig into and uncover a lot of things that you might not have done on a phone call. So absolutely, I'm all about it. All about it. Good. All right. Let's get to the next question here. So yeah, this is from Reddit again. This is, uh, I'm going to read this verbatim. It's about a guy that starts a new brokerage and wants to hire folks on. So he says, I have an online freight brokerage and I just got funded $2 million. I'm looking for veteran brokers to kickstart the organization and lead sales, lead the sales teams. What do you think is a fair compensation structure for brokers that will have to build the organization from the ground up? And he gave a couple examples of, you know, base plus commission ideas and stuff like that. But first of all, come on, man, we just talked about this last week. 
This guy probably has no idea what he's doing. He has a brand new MC number, zero experience, no carrier base. And now he wants to just hire people to do his job for Build him. his business. Exactly. <laughs> he wants to outsource his job as this is a get leader rich of his organization, idea, right? Mind. Yeah. Oh my God. But, you know. It's a good question that we can I take back and forth. Because what I, what I do want to answer here is how, how do you pay a salesperson? Okay. Mm -hmm. I've had this question a lot. I've had an agent that is ready to hit that next step. They want to hire on a salesperson. I've helped anywhere from figuring out a comp structure to developing the, the agent or employee, employee agreement and contract to make sure that all parties are protected. But compensation is usually a big part of it if you're a, um, looking to hire a salesperson. So there are different ways to do this. The base plus commission is a, is a good way to take somebody that is not necessarily ready yet to, to bet on themselves 100% and go straight commission. Mm -hmm. It gives them a little bit of um, comfort while they transition into this position because they're going to have a guaranteed amount of uh, pay that, you know, that way as they grow things. And if you're brand new and you're, you're going to hire somebody that has no accounts, you really probably have to pay them some sort of a base structure. But I'm a fan of having that be temporary and get them into a straight commission type of role at some point down the road, if you can, whether that is a draw that once they hit that point, they're really controlling their own paycheck and right their own, you know, putting as many zeros on it as they want. Um, but it, the, the more commission based you can get a, a freight sales rep, probably the better. Cause it's going to just, they're going to get the biggest piece of the pie that's going to keep them happy and make them not want to leave. So that's the incentive um, piece, right? Absolutely. You want yeah. them, you want them to be incentivized, right? The way, and you and I've had some really great conversations about this, is that I think the way you kind of view this is on an individual basis. If you're trying to hire an experienced broker, that level of experience is going to vary with the person you're talking to. And you basically need to not only reduce their risk, but you've got to incentivize them and give them a reason why they want to come and work for you, right? First yep. and foremost, why should they, if you were them, why would you come over to a startup? The second question is, then you've got to look at what are they taking home and what are they risking and what do they have to give up? Are they going to be able to bring their book? Are they going to bring some of their book? Do they have to leave all of their book and start over again? Then you're going to need a huge base and a big commission on the back end to basically like level out that dip for them. Yep. So here, here's the, uh, the ideas that this guy had. He said 60,000 base with 20% commission. And then he said, or... 70 to 75,000 base with 20% commission. I will tell you that the average W2 model brokerage is not paying that. They're paying probably 30 to 40 base. And then a, a good company is going to pay you probably around 20% commission. But a lot of them, I talked to a guy the other day that's getting 3% with a 40,000 base. And I'm like, yeah. huh? Three, but that is, those are, uh, pay structures that folks that have no experience start with, and then they're locked in and they've usually have, have a non-compete non-solicit. So they really, they're kind of trapped. So here's what I think. Let's say that you don't necessarily just have a $2 million funded startup brokerage. Let's say that you have a brokerage and now you want to grow it and you want to hire sales reps on. I think you can do a little bit of a mix. You can have, you can offer a base plus commission and you can also offer a 1099 independent contract, straight commission, basically an agent type of pay. Um, we know that agents are 50 to 70% is kind of the, the industry average. If someone has their own book of business, you, you probably should be paying them that. Um, 
if you're going to bring someone over on the employee side, I don't think you're paying 60 to 75 in a base. I think, I think the industry standard has been set that, you know, the smaller base with the higher commission opportunities is the way to go. So that could be 40 K, maybe 45 K. I mean, you might want to do a little sign on bonus if they've got their own book, they're going to bring over have um, you know, if they do X amount each quarter, you get a little bit more bonus, but have a, have a good commission percentage tied to that. And I think, yeah, 20%. So that's a really good, healthy number, maybe 25, depending on if it's a, uh, you know, high, high producing, high margin customer or what. I mean, there's, there's no right or wrong answer here. Um, it just depends on what role they're going to have. Are they an employee? Are they an agent? 1099? It, you know, it all depends. And I also think that that's not the lead, right? Like whatever this, you know, person decides is that like, that's not really going to drive whether or not somebody's going to want to come work to them. Like they're going to have to go and sell their vision of what this company is going to be to other experienced brokers and convince them and recruit them. And, and that is a sale in and of itself. Recruiting is sales. Sell these people on why your vision should be their vision and why they should leave what they have and take the risk to come with you. And the fact that he kind of worded it in a way like looking to bring them over to kind of do that work for him, I think inherently is kind of backwards, but I mean, yeah. I wish him all the luck. So there's, you know, and the same goes with, with agents, right? If an agent leaves our company and goes to become an agent somewhere else, it's not just for the money. There's a lot of other facts. Sometimes it is right. But the majority of the time, there's a lot of other variables that go into it. So like I said before, the other pain points, how fast are they getting paid? How are claims being handled? How's the back office support? How's the overall culture? How's the, how is, how available is your support team when yep. you've got issues on the weekends or at nighttime, stuff like that. Those are just as important as paying somebody properly. Absolutely. And I think that's what this guy should be thinking about. Yep. And my guess is he probably doesn't have an answer or solution to those things. He's just thinking about what do I have to pay him to get him over here? Yeah. Well, he's got a big bucket of money. He, he's, you know, raised 2 million in capital. He thinks that's going to solve it. And that's really common. I mean, I probably talked to five different people that were starting companies in the past few months that said that worked for other brokerages. And once they raised the capital to start, they're like, oh, this is going to be easy. Like we have the money to fly around. We're going to be able to go visit customers. We don't have to do this by the phone. And the reality is, is that like, having the money doesn't solve these problems. You still have to work. You still got to grind this out. You still have to sell, whether it's selling other people to join your vision or selling people to come on to work with you. Like, yep. It's all the same skill set. Oh yeah. The, um, the owning a brokerage thing. And we talked about this, how it's, it's not just being a good broker. It's also being a good business leader. The, the leadership side of that is, so, so important because you are, you, you literally like you're, you're commanding a, a small army of it's brokers so overlooked. at that point. And it's so, so overlooked. Speaking yeah. of which, um, we were, we are launching the Freight 360 YouTube channel. Uh, it should be up and we're going to be releasing the first two videos within the next 10 days. So by the time this airs, we may have the first one up and we should have the second shortly after. So if anybody has any other questions that we know, we usually direct you guys to the website or LinkedIn Feel free to comment on any of the YouTube videos. If there's ever a training topic that you want us to do a video on, Nate and I are compiling those topics and we're going to be putting out videos as well to kind of complement what we're doing on the podcast. I love it. Love it, love it, love it. All right. Good episode. Final thoughts. Whether you believe you can or believe you can't, you're right. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> I'm going to say Monday night football, Buffalo Bills hosting the Kansas City Chiefs. It's actually at 5 p.m. Eastern. There's two of them on Monday. <sighs> I got to say Bills are going to win. <laughs> I don't know. You have that. to. <laughs> I think it's going to be a close game either way. I'm not going to put a number on it. But with that being said, until next time, go Bills. That wraps up this episode of Freight 360. Thanks for joining us. Make sure to check out all the other episodes for even more great content. Check out the show notes for links to any articles and content that we referenced on this episode. Visit us on the web at www.freight360.net. And if you'd like to learn more about a new home for your agency, contact me directly. And if you'd like to learn more about me coming out to run a free complimentary sales training for your team, check me out on LinkedIn or again at www.freight360.net.